0: it's time for knox talk a behind the scenes look at the business side of college sports featuring paul sickman from knox sports and brandon parks from the vol network now for today's show welcome to another edition of knox talk today is thursday october the 29th my name is paul sickman from knox sports here in beautiful tampa florida where if Blake Snell was still pitching, we would be talking about that incredible Game 7. He is not. It is not. We move on. My co-host, as always, is Brandon Parks from the University of Tennessee and the Ball Network. Hello, Brandon.
1: Hey, Paul. It's, uh, it's a rainy, drizzly Knoxville today. I'm sorry uh, to hear that. we take it. We need the rain.
0: Okay. Well, it might be snowing uh, for our next guest. Our topic today is the differences in selling collegiate properties in the north and the south. So to give us that cold weather perspective, today we are joined by Mr. Chris Castle. Chris is the VP of Fox Sports. And in addition to some oversight of some collegiate properties that play above Mason Dixon, he is also the GM of the Fox Sports property at Michigan
2: State. Hello, Chris. Hey, Paul. Hey, Brandon. How are you guys doing?
0: So, I'm going to, be able to tell one uh, short story, even though Brandon doesn't believe any of my stories can be short. Um, this is about the 2006 Orange Bowl. Uh, my Seminoles were playing Penn State uh, in a three overtime loss, but the, what I want to talk about is the pregame. We went down there not necessarily understanding what Penn State fans were about. I know that when we tailgate, whether it's at home or on the road, we bring our three or four tables, our four or five tents. We have Multiple meals prepared so that we can serve at least two meals and we're prepared for a third if it comes up. Multiple coolers and I fill up every piece of my truck and so we unloaded all these things and on either side of my particular apartment spot down there in Miami-Dade were two Penn State parties. On one side was a tiny little fire where three men huddled around it and they were cooking flesh on fire and had beer cans strewn in a gigantic pile. On the other side was four more men piled around a fire cooking flesh on fire with a stack of beer cans next to them. And it became apparent that tailgating is certainly different when you are tailgating in maybe 80 degree weather or where you're tailgating in five degree weather and you really just wanna get inside the stadium and go see your, 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 your team play. So that's kind of a stark difference, but I, I, I wanna open it up to my, my two uh, wonderful co-hosts uh, today. And, and so we know that fans tailgate differently and how does that impact selling partnerships? I'll start with you, Brandon.
1: Well, it is much different. Um, obviously, in the South, we get the the better fortune of a of a longer tailgate season per se. Although I'm always amazed at the the northern schools and some of the scenes you'll see on television, um, specifically in college and pro football, with with what fans are willing to do, which really speaks to again the passion. Um, and, and the love that fans have for sports and for their, and for their teams. Um, and, you know, and obviously the, the weather creates different challenges for different, for different entities based on exactly where you're located um, uh, across the country. Uh, you know, here at Tennessee, uh, we're blessed with, um, I'll call it a more moderate climate in the sense that our, our temperature will remain above freezing uh, for just about every single football game that we play on campus. Um, so the, um, tailgate enthusiasts do not have to endure, uh, as much of a crazy weather pattern here, um, which I guess, up, uh, Chris up north, he may call our, our tailgaters soft, um, cause they can, they can pretty much enjoy a tailgate, uh, in, in what feels like a comfortable weather versus maybe up there in a, a November game and, uh, potential snow or freezing rain or what have you. Um, to me, those, those guys are the diehards.
2: Well, you know, having having worked in Alabama and worked throughout the South previously in my career, too, you know, what, what I always remember is, is driving through the countryside, headed to, a, you know, some client meeting or something, driving through Alabama, and you see, uh, you know, a, a modest home with an immodest RV parked next to it that, that probably – Outprices the home by fifty or seventy five thousand dollars, and <laughs> right. the, the the point of that is because they're going tailgating on Tuesday before the game, you know. Right. They so live, they live in their
0: house for two days. They live in a, yeah. a trailer or for, for an <laughs> RV for six.
2: <laughs> for sure. So so that that was always striking to me is just the true lifestyle nature of 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 the approach to tailgating because you know they're coming in on Tuesday or Monday before the game and they're gonna live there for the week and it's all about you know what's coming on Saturday. I think in the north. You know, having been a number of places too, um you know, th- th- there's no less preparation. There's no less uh, intricacy to it. You know, everybody has their setup and they have a lot of sophistication to it. But it's it's probably just shortened, right? I mean, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna see them coming out on Tuesday and Wednesday in most places up north. But that doesn't mean that that it isn't just as as uh you know, sophisticated of a tailgating setup on on Saturday. It's just sort of a condensed kind of experience. But what, what also what also I see here particularly at Michigan State is when we get to about you know middle of November and our last game or two of the year end up just being pretty miserable from a weather standpoint and you go from a really really robust tailgating scene to now you know it's probably drizzling cold rain and you know there's a couple guys standing next to a a pitiful little you know grill in the in the lot you know grilling a couple hot dogs up and and I'm just like you know that's good for you man because you know the, the effort that you're going through to, to get some kind of a marginal experience, you know, it, it means a lot to you. But I guess, you know,
0: going back to the, the, you know, kind of the intent of the question is we're both in the sales business, right? So, Brandon, you've got your folks that are traditionally going to be out there. So you're going to have partners that are going to have interactivity. You have partners that are going to have, you know, they're going to count on five hours or four hours of being outside where people can walk by and, and, and do all those things. Where, Chris, you may have a different story, right? You may have a very intense Maybe a, a tent set up so that your sponsors who want some level of fan interactivity, it, it just has to be different, right? You have to set it up differently.
1: Yeah, uh, Chris, I'll I'll jump in and I'm going to parlay that into a question for you, um, Paul. You're right. We we have obviously the normal traditional parking lots where fans will tailgate from, uh, but then it's been five seven years ago. Uh, we worked with the university to identify specific space, um, grassy area type space that we could designate as a tailgate area, uh, which could be used in addition to parking lots. And so our space is called Tailgate Tennessee. And so if you're a fan that doesn't have uh, a tradition that you that you typically will execute in a pregame, whether it be in a, a parking lot at a tailgate or a, or a restaurant that you frequent, this is an option where you can you can call in purchase basically an automated turnkey type solution for a tailgate. Um, and you know, and, a, and the tagline is, um, we'll bring the party. You just show up. Uh, and, and I would be interested, Chris up, up north, do you guys, I know that the, the tailgates occur obviously in parking lots and so forth, but do you guys also have specific areas that are defined on campus as tailgate type areas where, where then you have sponsorship opportunities of the space and the fan interaction that sponsors are looking for.
2: Yeah, for sure. And and again, a lot of times we front load those to the beginning of the season, but you look at a lot of places that really do plan to have those activities indoors. If you go to a place like Notre Dame, you know, they have a what would traditionally be a fan fest type of a zone. They have that inside of an area. You know, you go to a place like Washington State, they have a they have an old field house they convert into game day tailgating for their fans and there there's a little bit of sponsor activation going on in there but it but is really designed to be a a a tailgate area for fans and there's food and, and drink and all that and they pile thousands of people into into this old field house so i think you know people the the the, the affinity of the fans doesn't change I, but i think i think that you know wherever you're at north or south you adapt it for your climate and and uh, your fans find a way to do it
0: okay so Chris, talking about that indoors thing, because you're right. I mean, they do it at Michigan, same thing, where they have the they have the, the field house, they all those places up north where they have those uh, IPFs that they can convert on game day. They tend to be the, the place where the sponsors are going to do some interactive, if not B2B type activity. But with people up north being indoors more, right? I mean, you're you're about probably two to three weeks from people start hunkering down inside. Does the second screen situation for you from a sponsorship standpoint, does that, you feel like that's an advantage for you, that, that basically from I guess COVID has changed all the rules, but you know, for for you know mid-November uh, all the way through when people go peek outside again, that you guys have some advantages from a second screen perspective for sponsors.
2: I do, and I think it's evolving, and I think COVID is going to help it evolve. You know, as as, as you know, Paul we've you know, like a lot of places we've really had to evolve what our game day experience is for our fans without the without the ability to have fans in the venue. So, you know, that that interactivity with them on a second screen or on a social media platform or something like that. COVID I think is forcing some of that you know, sophistication and and sophistication from the marketer standpoint to where they're finally asking for some of that. Where where before, you know, it, it's easy to be lazy, right? And, and if fans are interacting in a certain way, why push the envelope? But I think COVID is is probably forcing us all to get sophisticated, both as as marketers who are selling the product and, and then the marketers who are looking to buy it and interact in a bigger way with with the fan base.
0: And and hey, Brandon, we talked about that a little bit earlier, how we've had to change with you know the fact we can't put people in the in the seats in the South, you know, as of, and anywhere, although we're having more luck down here, certainly Chris um, is. It, it still means that you have to be, you have to still deliver numbers, right? So if a if a client X wants to have twenty thousand names on a data capture, you got to find a way to do it. And maybe this year it's a little easier, and you can look them in the eye after a certain period of time and say, "Look what we delivered," even though the fans didn't necessarily come to the game.
1: Right, and I. I'd be interested in Chris's feedback on this, but one of the things that we've talked about in our past podcast is is as we navigate through this COVID year and fans' habits on game days change where not as many fans are permitted and in some cases no fans are permitted into the games, um, they're now having to host viewing parties at their house or they're having to, to really hunker down and stay at home and watch it. And, and so what happens once we do get back to a better place, a more normal place, and we get into 2021, and athletics departments from all across the country are then having to go back out and aggressively resell season ticket holders to get them back out to the venue. Because what you don't wanna have happen is people get comfortable not coming. And I think part of that is, in addition to the game, what are the other elements that can be delivered at the game site that you would not get anywhere else so do you want to be able to see your team march into the stadium do you want to watch your band perform in pregame? is there a fan fest area that that families can go to is there a tailgate space that you can go to and I think all of those things and I probably didn't think about it at, at the level of importance we should have placed on it but in the, in the very beginning of this, and even as we navigate through it, you realize how much people miss just the, the overall game day experience. Uh, and Chris, I'd love to get your feedback on that, and see if you agree, uh, but I think we have to have those things to keep the uh, attractiveness of wanting to come and attend live sporting events.
2: There's no question. I think what's what's really worrisome to me is I do hear a lot of people make comments like, "Oh, hey, there was a football game Saturday. I didn't miss it," you know, and 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 these these are kind of the fringe fans, right? They're not the diehards, but it is worrisome because as as COVID and other things force your lifestyle to change, do you you know. Do you reintroduce introduce those things back into your lifestyle when you have a chance? And that's why you're you're dead on. I mean the, the the game day experience that you can have, as much as we try to replicate that, maybe in in today's time with COVID, try to replicate the fan experience. You have to provide a premium experience that can't be replicated on game day to drive you know the future attendance, the season ticket sales, individual sales, the people that want to the want to be there. The thing that we all know and love and believe in is is this you know multi generational uh, you know, people participating in, you know, I, I say it all the time, 80-year-olds participating in the same traditions that 18-year-olds participate in. That, that doesn't exist anywhere else. And uh, you've got to really provide that premium experience, even down to the finest details of, does your hot dog you sell taste good? Do, you know, is, is, the, is the parking lot tenant friendly? Is there are there traditions that you can participate in on site that you just can't replicate anywhere else? And are those worthwhile to sustain that sale and sustain that, that person who wants to come back and bring their family back and, and uh, you know, commune with, with their vol nation or their Spartan nation or whatever it is. And uh, you've got to provide that premium experience that can't be replicated.
0: And here's the challenge boys
2: is that, you know,
0: we, we've, every school out there, year two included um, has, has spent this entire year figuring out a way to bring that experience to people at home. Right. So you have cameras watching the watching the teams walk where they were before you had to be there. You have cameras that are in locker rooms. You have cameras that are are basically trying to replicate all of those things. Now, in addition to those cameras following those things, most of those elements are now sponsored. And so you have the people second screen at home that uh, someone, some client out there is paying for the right to share those experiences with you. So, as you said, we've now asked someone, asked them to go home and experience these things from home. The only way for both schools, any school, to basically get off that mess is to stop, is to not allow any of that access next year, or at least mitigate it to the point where coming to the game is unique. The college experience is unique, the pro experience is not, uh, to me. The pro experience is a game. You park. You maybe tailgate a little bit, but you go indoors and you watch the game. The college experience, as we've all agreed, is about everything else but the game, and the game is lovely. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't why you come back as your 80-year-old, 18-year-old come back. It's because of the experiences that you share, the traditions that you share over and over and over again. And and to be quite honest, we're going to have to have a very tough balance this offseason cutting out some of the opportunities we gave people, not killing the sponsor, but finding a way to give them something and then come back and finish the
2: job yeah and i think you can still make that experience aspirational too to where you know if if you're not able to cut that off entirely and, and i can watch a team walk on my phone or i can you know watch you know whatever the the tradition is in that particular town there's still some aspect of it that's aspirational that, that i need to be there to get and and i think that you know that's that's the challenge people you know college marketers are going to have to work harder coming out of this than probably they ever have and uh you know, we'll see, you know, the, the winners are the ones who are thinking about that now and who are going to best position themselves to bring their fans back. In it's really
0: going to be a balance. Day. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we, Brandon and I talked earlier about the fact that, you know, almost every college stadium for the first time in their history has got field-level signage. They've got and, – and, and they had to do that as a make-good for all the other messes that, that they couldn't accomplish for their clients across the country. Well, I've already had a bunch of schools that have come to me and say, well, this is staying, which we all knew that a bunch of schools would – be able to get permission to keep going because they're they're hurting right well that was one of the reasons people i think love college football is because it didn't appear on the surface we all know that wasn't true but it didn't appear on the surface to be marketing heavy it appeared to be pure and pristine and collegiate and traditional and you know we all can't be michigan which has nothing in the stadium but i think a lot of us um went way over the mendoza line with regards to what we did from a, a signage perspective that's another example of how it's going to be really interesting to see that balance coming back and whether there's going to be a pushback next year it's pretty hard to take away signage oh, it absolutely is um,
1: and th- what I would tell you is I think there'll be there'll be some of the things that we learn this year that we decide to implement, not all of the things um, and and so we, there'll be best practices that will come out of this uh, but but I you know again, I think we are all probably being as aggressive as we have ever been to create value for sponsors within our space and certainly given the uniqueness of this year. Um, But one thing that I do think that's different and continues to be different about college sports versus professional sports is what we're willing to do from a commercialization perspective versus maybe what a pro team is willing to do. I still think we all come from places that are very much tradition oriented and, and part of our jobs not only is to market for corporate partners, but it's also to be a caretaker for the property we represent. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so, you you're know, right. you, hope, you hope that you take the best of the best with you into the future um, and, and then, you know, get back to more, things that are more normal. So I, I want to shift gears and ask Chris this question. Uh, you're in a highly competitive sports market just looking at the state of Michigan as a whole. And you, you've obviously got some competing universities there. Uh, you've got a number of professional organizations. What, what is it that you and your team go to market with week in and week out to differentiate the Spartans
0: from all the other sports marketing opportunities that are out there? Which, which let me interrupt just one second, which it makes it a North versus South question because unless you're talking about probably maybe Florida and maybe, maybe Georgia. the Georgia Tech situation, nothing is replicable of what Chris is going through up in Michigan and what most northern schools do. They're all competing very heavily with pros. Go ahead, Chris.
2: Yeah, I think just uh, some of that falls back on the nature of our state. You know, we have a very urban area, obviously, in Detroit, and we have four professional, four major professional teams in Detroit. And then you've got, you know, certainly Michigan and Michigan State, which, you know, roughly say half the state is is divided although although frankly what we go to market with is in in the last 20 years and you know michigan state has had such a phenomenal brand on the national level and, and over the last 10 to 12 years you know one of the top three winningest programs between you know football and basketball combined you know the the, the kid that's 20 years old in in the state of michigan has grown up knowing michigan state is the better program and, and i'm you know I'm, I'm not here to play the rivalry game but uh, that's just, just, just a reality, and I, that's going to that's gonna dominate buying decisions for the next 60 years for those individuals. So we really talk about that. And we don't, we don't talk about those other teams too much. We, we represent Michigan State as being, you know, the, the best athletic program in the country. And, you know, w- with the success we've had and really, you know, the three or four prongs we have between football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and really hockey being being a third major for us you know we're not challenged on that and and so so it's really about how great Michigan State is it's not about those other teams but you know we can very easily draw a differentiator between college and pro and and you know the experience and the affinity level paul talked about that a little earlier uh, and and you know again I don't, I don't i don't care if you're a michigan or michigan state fan you should you should be involved with both if you're a company of substance in the state of michigan so um, but we really do try to represent Michigan State and talk about it as the, as the best program in America and demonstrate that. So asking y. you
0: both, it just kind of piling on what you said right there, Chris, I mean, you obviously have a little bit of a different deal, right? I mean, in terms of having hoops and hockey, both be big revenue generators for you, mm-hmm. it, it not you don't have to divulge state secrets, but in terms of, of just percentages, uh, I would guess that your football percentage of revenue is probably lower as an overall than, than maybe Brandon's.
2: I would imagine we're, we're, we're probably, without calculating it, 50% football, 40% basketball, 10% everything else, which is primarily hockey, um, and, and then driven a little bit with women's basketball and some other things. But uh, you know, hockey, hockey does provide a nice entry level, you know, for for those companies that maybe don't have the budget to be involved with basketball or football. There, there's a there's a rabid fan base at a more more of a type of an entry level um, that's still substantial enough to generate some dollars from a hockey, for hockey.
0: And, and Brandon, I know you're not the extreme that
2: Alabama is. I've heard Alabama anywhere from
0: 85 to 95% of the revenue comes from one sport, which is, it's not softball. Um, so in Al- at, uh, Tennessee, do you have a, are you probably closer to 60, 70?
1: Yes, I, I was gonna say, you know, 60% approximately. Um, you know, we've had the good fortune here of, of of being successful and having success on the basketball court, not just with our men's team, but with our women's team as well. Um, and much like what Chris spoke about with hockey uh, up there, I think our baseball team as an entry point is really good, for, especially for local and regional partners that want to be involved. Um, but you know, we we obviously are known as a football school, um, but but historically, you know, basketball has been supported really well here, and you know, our fan attendance will will speak to that when you combine tennessee men's and women's basketball together i think year over year we've led the country in total attendance for 10 plus years now and and it just goes to show that the 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 fan base is interested in sports beyond just the the traditional football um and it also goes to
0: show there's absolutely nothing to do in tennessee
1: well we're we're a one-horse town in a lot of ways in knoxville we have a minor league baseball team that's up the road in severable that's supported um that potentially may come back to knoxville but but knoxville as a whole is is really from an activity standpoint is driven by what goes on on campus that's Um, awesome for you chris i'd be interested how how different is your game presentation and how you market and develop corporate sponsorships for hockey versus that of say basketball
2: well, I think the approach is very similar. Then the approach is, is you know it, it's a it's a world class or a best in class type of presentation from a game standpoint. If you come to a hockey game at Michigan State, and, and I would equate it very much to to a lot of baseball programs in the South. It's it's the third peg and and uh, you know. Th- those baseball experiences are, are tremendous. You can have a great time. You come into hockey, you're going to have a have a you know best in class type of a hockey experience with six thousand of your best friends instead of fifteen thousand or seventy five thousand for basketball or football. So so I think the approach is the same. You know, and, and, you know, Big Ten Hockey is, is a phenomenal hockey league. It's very, very difficult. It's 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 the top league in collegiate hockey. So I, I think the approach is the same, but it's just a, a little bit smaller scale from the fan standpoint. But, you know, I, I came from a place, you know, I, I spent eight years at Gonzaga, which had a, you know, one of the best basketball programs in America and seats 6,000 in their basketball arena. And I think the size of the crowd doesn't diminish the, the size of the experience. You know, you're still looking at a world-class experience. And, and sometimes that, that, you know, shortness of tickets or, or that, that scarcity of tickets really really drives the demand and provides an engine to make it even that much more aspirational for people to attend.
0: Last thing I wanted to ask you guys today was was really a kind of client entertainment perspective. You guys all have major clients that you entertain in unique ways, and and I think I'll start with you, Chris. When you do client entertainment, do you just knowing what you're up against? Do you, if you were able to take someone to a road trip, do you pack it early? Do you make sure you take someone when the game, you know, in, in September, October? Although this year is not possible, but would you normally do that, or do you? Do you try to get outside of that, and no, just rather do a basketball event, or do you just golf like crazy over the summer? What what do you, when you entertain, I want to kind of determine the differences between how you guys, if you had all the money and all the, you know, relationships in the world, I, I don't know what Michigan State and Tennessee are like, directly, I you know every school's got different rules they play by, but if you could, and how would you do things differently up north, as opposed to maybe what Brandon can answer later?
2: Well, I think it's obviously there, there's natural entertainment opportunities around your events, whether it's road games or, or or basketball games or football trips, whatever it is, and those are those are critically important. Anytime you can spend a lot of time, quality time with somebody, you're just going to advance the relationship a lot more. One thing that that I've really found over my career, and that we strive to do at every stop I've made, is really work hard to find what are those entertainment opportunities that have nothing to do with the athletic experience, and you know it, it could be a uh, you know, something like take a bus trip to a winery for a day, or you know, have just some, you know, have a have a boat cruise or have something like that, and and the the purpose of that is is you know who's going to come. I mean, Brandon, you know, if you invite people to a game watch or a, a game day hospitality, you know who's going to come, but there's some people that will never come, and if you if you seek for those opportunities to just find, even if it's once or twice a year, find something that has nothing to do with your athletic team and it's just something that somebody can bring a spouse to or, or a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is. And you're going to, what you're what you'll find is you'll find some very important people coming to that that will never come to a game because they just don't have an interest. They understand the, the marketing value of it. Hey, this is something we need to be involved in. But you're not going to really have a chance to develop a relationship with them because they're, they just don't want to come to a game cuz for whatever reason it's not it's not their thing. So we always strive to find an opportunity outside of anything to do with the sports team to say, "Hey, come to this." And we always find people that that we want to get to know that we haven't been able to in any other way. I love that so much.
0: I know Brandon you've invited me a bunch of times to go whitewater rapping with you and I haven't taken you up on it, but go ahead and take uh, take over.
1: <laughs> well, you got to know how to swim first. Oh, uh, that, that hurts. <laughs> Um, No, Chris is is dead on. Uh, I think for us, our challenge, knowing that we have the normal game type opportunities that exist from an experiential standpoint, is creating additional experiences above and beyond that, uh, that can be different versus just attending a a traditional game. Um, And and we've done a number of different partner type events, uh, utilizing some of our sports facilities, but really taking on a different approach from what the content is. Um, because it, it you're right not all of our partners are just diehard fans that want to attend games um, and whether you ho- you host a sponsor summit where you get partners together to talk about best practices and how we can all be better together uh, or or if you like in our instance with the proximity to the mountains uh, if you're able to tie in something that goes on uh, in the Smoky mountains, um, at a unique facility, for instance. So I think we're all striving to find those unique experiences to deliver for partners. I do think there is a difference between what goes on from a hospitality perspective at a football game versus a basketball game. Um, First of all, we're very limited in football. Traditionally, you play six, seven, eight home games maybe which creates just a finite amount of games, and there's only so many tickets to go around. There's only so many people that you can touch on an individual game day. Um, So you have to be really smart and uh, strategic in how you build out those football game opportunities. Now, and often in football, obviously, that is a day-long event, and then sometimes it's a weekend-long event if you're inviting partners in from from other areas outside of, of our community. Um, so it's a much different approach in football. Now in basketball, completely different. The you know the window of time is three to four hours max. We play games during the week and on the weekend. Um, and because of that, I think there are a lot of partners that, that are more willing to come and participate as much in our basketball hospitality opportunities just because the time commitment's so much shorter. Um, and so we, we try to use both to our benefit, uh, and the beauty for us is you play seven home football games, but then in basketball we play 15 men's games, 15 women's games. That gives us quite a large volume of events to be able to, to entertain uh, and create hospitality opportunities for
2: clients.
0: Well, go ahead, Chris. Do you have anything
2: on it? Well, no, I, The only thing I was going to add is I think something that's common to a, to a lot of college College towns. It's it's probably it's true of Knoxville. It's true of, of East Lansing. True of a lot of places. Is you know sometimes it's hard for your people to get there. You know on a on a Tuesday night basketball game or something like that. Because Brandon, maybe you have people coming from Nashville. We have people coming from coming from Detroit. So we also seek ways to to take it to them. You know, can we can we take our our three or four top head coaches and go have a dinner in Detroit? on a on a monday in april or something you know and and a lot of times we'll find a lot of success with that because you know somebody's just not gonna you know after after work and everything they have to do they're not going to come over on a tuesday and spend you know get home at midnight so they're they're tired for work the next day so i think you have to also have to look for opportunities to to take it to where they are pretty
0: smart All right, boys. Well, I appreciate Chris Castle from uh, Fox Sports in Michigan State uh, joining Brandon and I this week. And this is another edition of Knox Talk. So thank you and have another great week.